Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up for the Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hi, brothers and sisters in Christ. Hey, I hope you're having a wonderful morning so far or whenever you have downloaded the podcast and are listening. A shout out to our friends across the country who either stream online or download the podcast. Uh, it's, it's, almost, it's almost hard to believe. It, without God, it would be very difficult to believe the, um, the way the podcast is getting out there. It's because of you. And if you're a brand new listener to the podcast, we are censored, suppressed, shadow banned on social media. We do not have a newsletter. We do not advertise. And yet our numbers in the last month have been record numbers in the history of this podcast, Stand Up for the Truth. And that's nothing that we're doing. So I can't take credit for any of that. But of course, it's the guests we have on, but it's you sharing the podcast. But I also want you to share something else. We've got our 200 resources you can trust at the top of our website, StandUpForTheTruth.com, there's one word, resources. It's an alphabetical order, very easy for you. Technically, all right, don't, don't count, because technically there are probably well over 200 by now. We keep adding to them. But there are resources you can trust, ministries, news outlets, conservative commentary. So check that out at uh, StandUpForTheTruth.com, one word, resources. So very important topic today. I just want to say off the top, there's a time to preach. And there's a time to fight. And the time to fight has come for the United States of America. We're going to talk about where that comes from and why this is important that the Christian church and true believers in Christ, what I consider the remnant, redeem the time and have a sense of urgency in these last days. And I want to bring on Bill Cook and Stephen Mannion. Stephen, we have two guests today. Stephen is the pastor of Faith United Methodist Church in Lancaster, New York. Bill Cook, we've had him on a couple times before. He's the founder and executive director of America's Black Robe Regiment of Virginia. It's a clergy-led movement of Christian Minutemen actively committed to restoring the foundations of liberty in America. And uh, Bill and Stephen, welcome to Stand Up for the Truth. It's great to be great here. To be with Thank you, David. David. All right, so Bill, since we've had you on before, we've got you linked up on our website. Uh, Stephen, let's start with you. Uh, we just need to talk a little bit about your background and the United Methodist Church, because as I said before we got on the air, um, our listeners would be curious, because that's the elephant in the room due to uh, many rainbow flags waving outside of Methodist Church buildings and other issues that den the denomination seems to be split over. So if you could give us your take and your understanding of where the United Methodist Church is at. Yeah, you know, it's really sad whenever I introduce myself um, and I say I'm a, I'm a United Methodist pastor, and I have to immediately qualify yes. that I'm a biblical mm. United Methodist pastor. Mm. And uh, it's it's really sad that it's gotten to that point. Um, John Wesley, if he was alive today, he would be ruling in his grave. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean yep. he, okay, if he was alive, he wouldn't be in his grave. Uh, <laughs> if he was alive, he would be... Uh, He'd be at rate, and the, the you know, American Methodists would hate John Wesley today. Mm. Um, uh, the official teaching of, of the United Methodist Church on marriage is still good. It's still our official teaching in the Book of Discipline still says marriage is between uh, one man and one woman, and um, homosexuality is, is uh, incompatible with, with, with the, the Christian faith. Um, the, mostly the American and European uh, Methodists, uh, mostly the, the clergy actually, have um, have adopted the spirit of the age. Have uh, um, tried to serve God and 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 you know, and man at the same time. And um, so you know that's really why the Methodist Church is in the the place it's in now. The um, all those churches you see that have you know rainbow flags um, uh, hanging in their uh, you know outside of their church are all breaking church law by mm. doing that. But nobody enforces it. It's the Wild West, mm. so that's why the Methodist Church has come to the point where we are, you know, are preparing for a split. Um, there was supposed to be an official split uh, this year. We were supposed to have a general conference in August. It got postponed for political reasons. They were trying to stall the split, no, mm. no matter what they tell you. That's what it was. <laughs> um, so the Global Methodist Church uh, decided to launch, which is 
um, a bunch of former uh, United Methodists that are starting a new conservative uh, uh, group. And uh, you may have seen the news that 100 Florida churches are all suing the uh, the United Methodist Church mm-hmm. because they're trying to make it hard for them to leave, too expensive for them to leave. So that's the, the situation we're in now. Um, I just try to, be in, in my local church and, and in what I do, I'm faithful to the, to the Word of God and the historic Methodist uh, faith. Mm. Thank you for clarifying that, and that's... Of course, what we uh, needed to talk about before we get into the issues we're talking about today. So, Bill, um, you've been very, very active in Virginia. You and I met uh, a couple years ago at a Liberty Pastors conference in Dallas, Texas, and it was a blessing to meet you and then have you on the podcast, along with other troublemakers for the kingdom, Dan Fisher, Paul Blair, and uh, Stephen Broden, Steve Smotherman, so many others. But, uh, Bill, just since we talked to you last, what are some of the things that you've been working on? And we will definitely get to the Acts 529 pledge statement. Well, well what, we, what we just recently did down in Virginia Beach in conjunction with Clay Clark's uh, Reawakening America Tour, General Flynn's Reawakening Tour, is we, we, we organized an event called Gideon's 300 where we, um, based on the story of Gideon, we, we feel that there is only a remnant of a, re- a relative remnant of pastors in America who are going to be willing to really stand up mm. and contend for liberty. And mm-hmm. so we don't necessarily feel like we need to, to gain a majority of American pastors to accomplish what God wants to do in this country. Amen. We believe that it'll be a, it'll be a remnant that does that. So we call it Gideon's 300. And um, we had some great teaching. We had, um, in addition to the various people that spoke, we had... Um, uh, General Flynn spoke. Eric Trump spoke. Eric Trump, uh, uh, Eric Trump, right? The son of Donald Trump spoke, and um, Pastor Brian Gibson. Steve was there. I was there. I spoke. Um, we just had some great people talking about the foundations of liberty. And at the end of the day, we had we had all assembled on the stage in front of four thousand people who were there live, hmm. and also millions more watching the live stream online. And we had a commissioning at which at which we read the Gideon's 300 pledge uh, before the people that were there and the, the people that witnessed this, it was incredible. The mm-hmm. response was incredible. It came from the crowd mm-hmm. and they were excited because people realized that pastors are critical, critical. They're the, they're the fulcrum of saving this country. And um, we need more pastors. We need more. We, we need a remnant. We need to complete that remnant to stand up and yes. contend for liberty, not to do what's happening in, Steve's denomination, where some churches are going along with uh, the prevailing narrative within our culture. Mm -hmm. And it's time to contend for the truth. Yeah, what you said is very important, Bill Cook, in that it was pastors that helped save America and establish America to begin with. And now kind of it's interesting, we've come full circle that it falls back on the pulpits. It falls back on pastors to help preserve what we still have and Boy, we're losing it quickly. Um, so the website I want to direct people to is acts529.com. And uh, Stephen, why don't you share what Acts 529 is? It's a very well-known uh, scripture, but we're going to apply that today on the podcast. Yeah, um, just to be clear for listeners, it's acts529.com. There's no colon or anything. I just want to make, make sure that that's clear. Um, you know, obviously, Acts 529 is, is, you know, we must obey God rather than man, you know, you know, uh, and that should be an obvious thing. And um, so um, I was reading a book, you know, uh, called God versus Government by um, Nathan Busenitz. I may be saying his last name wrong, and, and James Coates. And, um, you know, and in that book, James Coates m- mentioned how they have a in, their, in his little town, well, it's not a little town, in his town they have a coalition of about four or five churches who all decided that they were not going to close mm-hmm. um, at the order of the government. And I just, I just thought to myself, dude, how cool would that be in the United States to have a nationwide <laughs> coalition of churches that decide they will not close at the order of the government? Mm-hmm. And so I reached out to, to Bill. Bill's been a great uh, support and resource and um uh, he's, he's just really selflessly giving of himself for this cause, and he's a good coordinator. So I reached out to him, and, um, and he and I crafted this statement, uh, which really just says it's just a statement for pastors to sign. You can you sign on the website. 
saying that you uh, will not close your church at the order of the the, the uh, government. Mm-hmm. And um, I had some pastors who said, well, I'm not going to, so why do I have to sign it online? And, you know, and, and that's a good question. Um, there's a power in linking arms. Yes. You know, it's great that you didn't close your church, but um, other pastors who are on the wall, um, because frankly, they're, they're weak spined, you know, or, or, or just whatever the reason, or they have a lot of pressure from, from their, the people in their church. Um, when they see a bunch of pastors um, standing up, holding arms, you know, then there's courage begets courage. And so that's why it's important for us to publicly, uh, in, a, in a public forum, which is the Internet, uh, say that none of us are going to do this again. Never again will we close our church at the order of the government. And I think a majority, an overwhelming majority of our audience, Stephen, would say, amen, exclamation point, underline. Um, we've had James Coates on this podcast. We talked about the book. We've had Pastor Tim Stevens on from Canada uh, talking about how he was arrested a couple times uh, for keeping his church open. He And he is the mm-hmm. most uh, respectful um, compassionate, mild-mannered man of God, and they arrested him on the, on the driveway of his own home in front of his children. Now, let's, wow. get, let's get to the why. A um, couple days ago, the World Health Organization has activated its highest alert level for the growing, growing. monkeypox outbreak. I'm not making this up. They're declaring this new virus to be a public health emergency of international concern. So the WHO, WHO, now, let's clarify something. They can only issue guidance and recommendations to its member states. Right. They cannot issue mandates. That's where the pressure of the international community comes in, and the globalists and the Marxists and those who would hate America and want to take down America and uh, crush the system, as some would put it. Um, I want to go over to an article that Cheryl Chumley wrote. We had her on a few weeks ago again. Uh, she's got a, an article called White House Fakes new fears to manufacture more COVID-19 hysteria. And uh, they say that the cases are increasing. They're very concerned. I'm just kind of summing this up. And guess what the government's recommending, our government, America? More shots, more boosters, more and more, more and more. And this is going to continue, right? And now I, I think even Anthony Fauci is coming back on the scene, if I'm not mistaken. But let's get to a brief paragraph. And then, Bill Cook, will go to you to comment uh, from the New York Times, buried in this talk about the, the growing health concern about the virus, quote, the daily number of reported cases in the United States has remained steady at roughly 100,000, a figure that many experts say is underreported because so many people are testing at home. But hospitalizations have risen 18% over the past several weeks, according to the New York Times. So, first of all, it's an anonymous citation. What are the, who are the experts and, of course, you know the media is behind all this. Bill Cook, it seems like we've played this game before just a couple years ago, and we've got a midterm election coming up in November, big one. Your thoughts, exactly. on, uh, your thoughts on what's coming down, what we're starting to hear from this government. And, uh, just, well, I agree. Yep, go ahead. I, I agree with you uh, that the effort here is really to impact the election. I think that um, it's, a, it's a lie from the beginning, from beginning to end, uh, the science shows that the monkeypox virus is uh, communicated to others through through sodomy, so, you know, male male uh, intercourse, if they want to call it that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not a risk to the average person walking around on the street. So they're trying to right. repeat COVID. This is really an effort to institute COVID too, and uh, to to basically impact the election. They're going to, they're going to try and steal the election in twenty. 2022 in the midterms and in 2022 so it's time to stand up it's time to sign that 529 statement i commend steve and i'm I'm so proud of him and what he's doing and steve is really a truly a black robe regiment pastor and uh he leads the black robe regiment up in pennsylvania so i mean up up in new york in new new york western new york right (laughs) (laughs) don't insult him uh, i'm kidding (laughs) i just commend him i just commend him greatly and and uh, you know, I would say to everybody that hears this, hearing this uh, this interview, go to acts529.com now, and if you're a pastor, sign that statement. Do it now. We need we need every pastor on board in this country so, supporting that statement. Yes, we need to get this out there, friends. Again, acts529.com. We're going to talk more in depth about that as we go through the podcast today. 
um, just in, including some of the bullet points. Um, but let's go back now to the Black Robe Regiment. And uh, Pastor Stephen Mannion, why don't you, I know, Bill, you've been involved in this in a long time, but uh, Stephen, I want to hear your thoughts on this and how important this is for us, first of all, to understand true, true American history and that the pastor were some of the boldest and bravest leaders uh, in our early foundations of this country. So go ahead. Yeah, I, I heard about the the Black Robe Regiment first by hearing Dan Fisher as a guest on Glenn Beck's program. Mm-hmm. And this was probably seven years ago, maybe eight years ago, before any of this was kicking up. I kind of, you know, had him stored in my head. But whenever COVID kicked up, I reached out to Dan and um, again, and he kindly called, you know, called, uh, he, he called me on the phone and encouraged me to, to start, you know, to, to start something up in my area. And I, and I have, so I went, I, I attended the, the Liberty Pastors uh, training camp or, or whatever they call it now. <laughs> boot camp. And, um, <laughs> yeah, boot camp. Yeah. yeah. They, I know they've changed the, the name a couple of times. And so, you know, there isn't any doubt that in the American Revolution, you, you mentioned this already, uh, David, in the American Revolution, um, you know, a historian Frank Moore said uh, from in 1862, he said, to the pulpit, we owe the moral force, which was our independence. They prepared for the struggle and went into battle, not as soldiers of fortune, but with the word of God in their hearts and trusting in him. And, um, you know, uh, and then he, he later said, England sent her armies to compel submission and the colonists appealed to heaven. So, you know, there's no doubt mm. that the American clergy were key in Amen. the American uh, Revolution. Why? Because, uh, you know, what part of our life is is Jesus not Lord over? Well, you tell me what part of your life Jesus is not Lord over, and that's the part of your life that the Church doesn't have to talk about or address. Mm. And so, you know... Um, uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm Pastor. I'm Adrian Rogers, who's passed away. I don't know, maybe ten, ten years ago now. He once said, "God created human government. It is therefore inconceivable that God would create a human government and then tell His people to stay out of it." Mm. You know, but that's exactly what um, so many pastors, even some I take to the Acts five twenty nine statement. They're like, "Well, you know, we just want to preach the gospel." You know, but that's a, a misnomer. Um, uh, What's, um, Ken Ham has a little booklet called um, the, the Gospel Reset. I encourage you all to read it. It's like an hour and a half read. Um, but he talks in there about how um, an Acts 2 culture versus an Acts 17 culture. Hmm. And a lot of those pastors who say, we just want to preach the gospel, are thinking the United States is still an Acts 2 uh, uh, culture. What I mean by that is when Peter was um, was preaching at in Jerusalem at, at Pentecost, and those people all knew what God, when he says, believe in God and repent, they knew what sin was, they knew what they were, you know, what they were repenting of, and they knew what God is, and who, who God really was, what God he was talking about. In Acts 17, Paul was addressing the people in Athens. They didn't know, when, he couldn't say, you need to repent and believe in Jesus, believe in God. They would have no idea. They wouldn't repent of what, and who is this God? Yeah, they had an altar to an and, unknown God. Yeah, they had no idea. They have no idea what he's talking about. So yeah. these pastors, uh, bless their hearts. I, I I agree, preach the gospel, but we're now addressing a culture that does not know who God is, mm. who this God of the Bible is, what's yeah. important to him, what is what's his view of human government, what's his view of tyranny, what's his view of sin. They don't know what sin is. They have no idea when you say repent of your sin. They don't even know what that means. So uh, this isn't. It isn't nineteen. 19- 40 anymore. It's time for the church to step up, and we need to be salt and light, um, shine out um, light into darkness, and and be salt uh, to to prevent uh, rot. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Stephen Mannion from New York, Bill Cook in Virginia. They're both online today with us in Green Bay, Wisconsin, technically deep here on Stand Up for the Truth. Uh, we've got to talk more about this. We know why we're at this place because of the declining biblical worldview, not just among Americans, but in the church as far as leadership. And that's one of the most sad uh, revelations of recent surveys from Barna and Pew and Gallup. But Liberty Pastors conferences are continuing. We'll talk a little bit of that when we come back. Plus, the Johnson Amendment and more on this Gideon's 300 pledge on Stand Up for the Truth coming up. 
Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Today's guests, Pastor Stephen Mannion from New York and Bill Cook in Virginia. Um, great topic today. I love this because, guys, let me tell you, when I went to the Liberty Pastors Conference in Dallas in 2020, um, that was a catalyst in my life. And I've said this before on this podcast, mm-hmm. not only because of some of the great people I was connected to after that and the guests we've had on the podcast, but just because sometimes you can feel like you're fighting this battle either alone or you just don't have the support or you're looking for more remnant pastors and, and true believers. And uh, that was just so encouraging to me. I want to mention one's going on right now in St. Louis, Missouri. There's one at the end of August in Austin, Texas, and then they go to Tulsa, Oklahoma for September. And in October, they're in Idaho. So you can go to libertypastors.com. And m- our pastor here in the small town of Deep Pier, Wisconsin, he went um, to one of those, and boy, did he come back with <laughs> both barrels loaded. Um, it was great. So we encourage you guys to get this information to your pastor. Also go to the acts529.com website and, and encourage him to read through it, listen to this podcast. Maybe you want to share this podcast with your pastor and then hopefully get him to sign on if he wants to really obey the God's word and uh, not forsake the assembling of ourselves together and keep the church open because we know they discriminated against the church. Government deemed the Christian church, um, well, we were in con- non-inconsequential, uh, really, because we weren't really being effective. But they deemed us non-essential when COVID broke out. And we've got to fight back. So that's what these men are doing here that we have on, this, on the station today on the podcast. Uh, so let's go to the website. Um, Bill Cook, what would you like to tackle first? Do you want to go through some of the bullet points on this uh, Gideon's 300 pledge? Sure, we can do that. Um, let me just look here. I've got it. I actually have pinned to my wall alongside the Acts five twenty nine statement, and what that what we and it's filled with signatures, by the way, because we had a we had a twenty uh, four inch by forty eight inch uh, poster there for pastors that came to the Gideon's three hundred event to actually sign. Cool. And that that statement begins with understanding that liberty is is sacred, the gift of God bestowed by Jesus Christ upon his church, the Bride of Christ, and that liberty being sacred is the church's sacred trust, and that the church, as light of the world and salt of the earth, is sole curator, trustee, or steward of the civil society and keeper of the blessings of liberty, and that the children of disobedience, walking according to the prince of the power of the air, are incapable of understanding, much less securing the blessings of liberty. Mm. Two more bullets. And the temporal, the temporal governance in the hands of the children of disobedience inevitably devolves into absolute despotism, and that my sacred duty to secure the blessings of liberty to my own generation extends to posterity, and that the temporal well-being of my flock is as much my concern as their eternal well-being. And then we list the things that they commit to doing, like, I will preach the whole counsel of God. I will no longer divorce my role as their pastor from matters that have a direct bearing on their temporal or or eternal welfare, nor my role as a shepherd from from the deliberations and actions of civil government. But I will preach a minimum of one election sermon before every election, and instill in my flock a biblical worldview by teaching all of the principles therein. Mm. And I'll teach my flock that voting in every election for the most godly candidates is a sacred duty incumbent upon every person professing faith in Jesus Christ. I will provide ample opportunities for every member of voting age within my flock to register to vote and seek to partner with other pastors in my local community to establish and maintain a culture of liberty within the local church and within the local community. So that's that's the, that's Excellent. the essence of the statement. Excellent. And where can people see that, Bill? Where can people find that? They can they can they can send me an email because we're we're getting it put up on the website right now. Great. A couple of days behind on that, but we're getting it put up on the website just like the Acts five twenty nine statement where Great. they can sign it online, and uh, and they can send me an email at rev at blackrobregiment us. I'll send them a copy of the statement, and they can sign it in that way as well. And uh, Wow. You know, just just hang in there. We're going to get it up hopefully today. This is so good, guys. And I think we're going to need to, because I think we're going in this direction, 
Um, we're going to need to talk about the Johnson Amendment in a few minutes, okay? Mm-hmm. But, but Stephen, I want to go back to you. And that first uh, point of I will, with, you know, that pastors are looking at this, going through these, wow, I, don't, I, don't, I can't imagine them disagreeing with this, but there's the, number, the first one there, it says, I will, with the help of God, no longer divorce my role as their pastor from matters that have a direct bearing on their temporal or eternal welfare. Now, I want to talk about that because let's talk about their temporal welfare. Um, I'm thinking uh, things like education, things like LGBTQ indoctrination, the government's involvement in these things, the, the government's promotion of these things, um, Hollywood corporations, what you are bombarded by in our culture today throughout society, and I didn't even mention the Internet and, and social media. Um, so it does, is that part of what I'm hearing, that pastors cannot divorce that part of their role because they need to equip the saints on how to deal with these things? Am I understanding that? Or please clarify, Stephen. Yes, uh, absolutely. You know, it's interesting that we, um, as, you know, as pastors, nobody has a problem with us, you know, Whenever somebody has a question about marriage, we, we bring them the Scripture. If they have a question about family life, we bring them the Scripture. If they have a question about abortion or homosexuality, uh, at least we should, bring them the Scripture and see what the Scripture has to say about it, even community involvement and charity. But as soon as, you, um, as, soon as it has to do with politics or government, we're not supposed to talk about it. And, um, and again, you just mentioned that the... the uh, uh, Johnson Amendment, which is a, a paper tiger, but we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, the you know there really isn't, and 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 there really isn't uh, a separation of temporal and uh, and eternal. They you know they they are like they are um, intermingled, and um, uh, God cares about temporal uh, welfare. Um, he obviously, as a Methodist, Wesley was really big on that, you know, about meeting the, the material needs of people, and, and not just material needs like charity, but also, um, you know, speaking out against evils and and sin and stuff, because that all all sin hurts our temporal uh, well 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 being, even if we are covered by the blood of Christ and we are a, a child of God, and we repent of our sin and, and place our trust 100% on the, on, on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I still sin, and my sin still has temporal consequences, doesn't it? Mm, <laughs> and yes, uh, I yes. still experience the temporal consequences of my sin. So, yeah, we have to address all of these issues. We have to, even if we, are, we aren't concerned about the souls of some people, we still have to be concerned about, I'm not saying we aren't concerned about their souls, but if we're if we know somebody who we're, we're certain is a Christian, mm-hmm. we still want to be concerned about talking to them about these temporal issues because um, because we care about their temporal uh, comfort and safety. So let me just, you said something very interesting, you know, assuming they're a Christian, Bible-believing Christian, and, and voting and, and their responsibility as Christian citizens when it comes to our biblical worldview and government and what our government is doing, the policies that are, the legislation, right? Um, I, I'll never forget, I had a, a breakfast, I met with a, a friend, um, gosh, what, what year was that? 2008, I think, um, when Barack Obama was running. Um, and I said to my friend, I said, so who, yes, I just brought it up, I, I just assumed, right? I just assumed he was going to uh, vote a certain way, and I said, so uh, who are you voting for in the election? He says, um, I really like uh, Obama, and, and I was waiting for the punchline. Because this was a this was a Christian friend he goes to a different church in the next one county over, and I was waiting for the punchline. I'm going, all right. He's smiling, and I I said, are, you're serious? And he says, yeah. I said, well, w- what makes you say that? He said, well, I, I he's uh, he's young. I really like the way he speaks. He just sounds so confident. And I'm going, the, I don't think any one of those is a reason to vote for anybody if you're a Bible believing Christian. So we had a conversation, and I ended up sharing about his Marxist background and the black liberation theology and his views, his a connection in Chicago as a community organizer, Saul Alinsky, and just tried to educate this friend of mine who I just assumed. He, I know he's a Christian, but I just assumed he did his research. And so maybe Bill mm-hmm. Cook, Bill Cook, I, let me ask you this. Um, for, for us, this is so important that we need to bring this up to friends and not assume that people sometimes in our own churches 
are, really have this proper worldview when it comes to how we see our government and who we support, the policies we support. Please uh, share your thoughts on that. Well, you know, this, this issue is something that's critically important because, as you know, one of the things we talk about in the Gideon 300 pledge, and, and I, I know this relates to what Steve is advocating, is the importance of a biblical worldview and the truth about the truth regarding a biblical worldview. The statistics, according to George Barnes, show that it less than probably seven or eight percent of Christians in America, Christians, um, allegedly Bible believing Christians, actually have a biblical worldview. And mm-hmm. it's not much better for evangelical pastors in America. So we have some incre- an incredible amount of remedial work to do mm-hmm. in terms of the church being educated in in what and co- what uh, constitutes a biblical worldview. That yes. was those principles were taught prior mm-hmm. to the American founding. We talked about the founding <clears throat> of our nation earlier, and I contend that clergy, the pastors of the era of the revolutionary era, were the founding fathers. That the, found, the men we call the founding fathers just learned everything that they knew because it came from the pulpit. Mm. So much so, in fact, that by the time the war started, the ideas in the Declaration of Independence and in in later in the founding charters uh, were ubiquitous among the people, so that probably any, any number of people could have written the Declaration of Independence. And Jefferson admittedly said that. He said, when I sat down to write, I didn't have to refer to any outside source. Wow. Those ideas were so well known among the people. Amazing. That, what, as one historian said, there had been a revolution in the hearts and minds of the people before any shots were fired in the American Revolution. Wow. Hmm. That's great. And we, we've titled this podcast today, uh, There's a Time to Preach and There's a Time to Fight. Um, I want to go to the Johnson Amendment now because there had to be some sort of transition then in early in our history that the pulpits started backing away from political issues, so-called, I put political in quotes, uh, from government involvement to talking about these things from the pulpit. And we can probably look at several catalysts in the last couple centuries. But I want to go to 1954 and talk about the Johnson Amendment and your guys, your thoughts on how this has silenced the pulpits, but it's really a self-censoring of pastors mm-hmm. and church leaders. And I want to share a quick story, if you just permit me a minute, and I'll go to you, Stephen, in New York. Um, uh, I still, on the, to this day, on my website, the most popular blog post is from May 2015, and it's called The Johnson Amendment and the Agenda to Silence Christians. How that got to be the most popular is a funny story. Um, I came out with a book, I think, that year called The Cost of Our Silence. And I just shared this portion from one of the chapters on the Johnson Amendment. And um, Jan Markell shared it and other outlets shared it. And it started getting traction in the Christian community, right? And then, lo and behold, Donald Trump's campaigning for president. And he says, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to repeal the Johnson Amendment. Well, of course, most people have no idea what it is, so they started Googling it. And since this blog post was already out there, it, it came up as in the top two or three results on the Google search. It went to my website, so I'm going, oh, this is great. So that's why it's, it's still like crazy how this information got out, but I'm just, just so thankful. So, Stephen, 1954, uh, Johnson, of course, was debating a tax bill. Uh, to, to overhaul the, the tax code on the Senate floor in Texas. And then he slipped this in because there were some anti-communist and there were conser- conservative groups that were coming against him. Uh, pick up the story and how this has affected pastors. And, Bill, you can chime in after that. Yeah, uh, I mentioned before that it's, it's a, a paper tiger, but I'll get that in a second. Let's just say even if there was some dogmatic law that prevented pastors from talking about politics or elections or endorsing candidates, um, again, we must obey God rather than man. So forget about the Johnson Amendment, first of all. It, it, it is irrelevant to us as Christians. Second of all, the Johnson Amendment is, is, power, is, is, is powerless. Mm. Uh, you have, you've had Dan, Dan Fisher on here a couple times. I yep. heard him last, I think it was last week. Um, and, uh, they have a group of pastors in Oklahoma, and I think this I, I, last I heard, I think it was about 2,000 every year. They literally send letters to the IRS saying, we are endorsing these candidates, and yep. they let them know <laughs> they are endorsing them. Why? Because they are begging them 
to try to use the Johnson Amendment. That's right. Why? Uh, and they, they, they never do. Why? Because they know, the government knows that if, they, if it goes to the Supreme Court, it'll be overturned. They know it has more power just floating out there yes. than it does actually challenge because enough, uh, you know, the whole, um, the, the Overton window has been pushed over so far and they keep using these kind of things to push the Overton window. So the Johnson Amendment is a, is a non-issue and even if it was, it shouldn't, uh, it shouldn't have any impact on the church anyways. So, uh, Bill Cook, please continue on, on these lines because pastors d- did, uh, have a huge misunderstanding of their limitations uh, when it comes to what they could say from the pulpit on a Sunday morning. Please go ahead. Right. Well, you know, the truth is that political sermons were preached in America for 230 years. Yes. They were preached up until the time of the Johnson Amendment. They probably amendment. They had probably begun to curtail before that. Mm-hmm. However, uh, the idea of, of, of the Johnson Amendment, the idea that the church is to be separate from the state and uh, – and uh, the state separate from the church. About the only language I found in any uh, charter of government is in the Soviet Constitution of 19, I can't, 1933, I think it is, that, that says those things. But if you think about the first Congress that ratified the Constitution, there were two clergymen in the first Congress. One was a general named General Peter Muhlenberg, and the other was uh, Friedrich Muhlenberg, who was Peter Muhlenberg's brother who initially contended with Peter about his, his decision to leave the pulpit for the battlefield and eventually came around to Peter's way of thinking. And he presided over ratification of the Constitution of the United States the way it was intended. Mm-hmm. So the idea that the the idea of separation as it is construed, as it is falsely construed today and addressed in the Johnson Amendment is so is, is ridiculous because there would have been another revolution had they had uh, Congress started talking about doing what our government has done today, and uh, it, it never it just would not have seen the light of day. So the the idea of the Johnson Amendment is unconstitutional on its face, and in fact, when a government begins to try to enact laws that co- contravene the Constitution, those laws are are in principle illegal. Mm-hmm. Well, it is unconstitutional. Yes. We have a duty right. to defy those kind of those kind of laws. Yes, and we'll get to that when we come back. We've got to take another break already. We are with Bill Cook in New York and Stephen Mannion in actually Bill Cook in Virginia. Stephen Mannion in New York. We're talking about Acts five twenty nine, the statement that your pastor can sign to keep his church open when the next quote crisis hits and the government tries to control churches. And our freedom. So more on Stand Up For The Truth in just a minute. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. So we are talking about the Johnson Amendment passed by Congress uh, as an amendment to uh, Section 501c3 of the Federal Tax Code. In 1954, you heard the reason uh, Lyndon Johnson was a big government liberal. Some would consider him a socialist and some maybe communist because there were anti-communist groups that were trying to come against him and raise information to get into the churches and say, hey, don't vote for this guy. This is what he'll do. He'll balloon the federal government. And 10 years later was the great society, right? Oh, my goodness. Anyway, um, so here's what the Johnson Amendment states. Then we'll go back to you guys uh, to get your more comments on it, because I think a lot of people maybe don't remember this or don't know that it exists. It's stated that entities that are exempt from federal income tax cannot participate in or intervene in, including the publishing or distributing of statements, any political campaign on behalf of or in opposition to any candidate for public office. So the left uses this to bully Christian pastors and nonprofit groups. Um, so I would love for you to share your thoughts on this, Bill, and continue. Yeah, one, one thing I, I point out, I like to point out is, first of all, churches never needed the, the, the uh, Section Five Hundred One C Three of the Internal Revenue Code to become yes. t- to be tax exempt. There's there's a, there's a not well known provision within. Within the IRS code, it's called Section 508C1A, and we heard about this this week. Yes, at the future future conference in uh, Alexandria, in Arlington, Virginia, 
when, when we had a couple of speakers get up and talk about that. But what I like to tell people is that that, that one little amendment to the IRS code 501c3 is the, it really is the most destructive statutory manipulation in American history because it predated abortion on demand. It predated the, the relaxing of our sodomy laws. It yep. predated everything that we see today, the, the, the massive size of our government. And it has contributed to all of that. And so, you, you, you know, if wisdom is justified of its children, which the Scripture says, uh, that which is not wisdom is, is wisdom is also exposed by the children it, it begets. Mm. And the Johnson Amendment has begotten much evil, and it's brought our nation to the brink of, of collapse, really. So I want to mm-hmm. mention, I, we'll go back to Stephen. Um, the 508, can you mention that again? Because um, we were just talking here in studio, the, I, a lot of accountants don't know about this, I believe. Right. Section 508C1A, I'm not an expert on it. I'm trying to learn as much as I can about it quickly here. But, but um, you know, the, the Liberty Churches that, that uh, are affiliated with uh, Paul Blair and Dan Fisher are 508C1A churches. They, don't, mm. they just have to have something in their bylaws that specifies that they are that. Mm-hmm. And they don't really have to um, come under IOS, IRS scrutiny. In fact, they just need to state in their, in their uh, bylaws these things and they can put them in a file and make, make them available to whoever wants to see them. But um, yeah. the church does not have to do this. Mm. doesn't have to sign on to this. Um, Stephen, your I thoughts. I can add something to that, Yes, David. please do. Yeah, um, yes, churches are, are automatically tax exempt. There are certain qualifications. You have to have a, um, you have to have a constitution. You have to have a statement of faith. You have to have a board. Um, including a secretary, president, et cetera. There's certain things like that, but you do not need to apply for it or file for it. Wow. You just have to meet the qualifications in case they ever come and ask for them. So churches are automatic. Oh, and you have to have a regular meeting place and time. That's the other qualification for it. So churches are automatically tax exempt. So if they come for your 501c3, hand it to them and you're still tax exempt. So could you list those uh, three, four things again, Stephen, to be clear? Yeah, I'm going on memory here because I planted a church, at one, helped plant a church at one point, so I had to research this. Um, they have to have, you have to have a constitution, you have to have a statement of faith, mm-hmm. you have to have a board, um, you know, um, a, a board of directors or whatever, Yes, and you have to have a regular meeting place and time. Okay. All right, and most churches I know of have those things, and yet uh, a lot of pastors feel like they're under this weight uh, or the threat of the Johnson Amendment and, and the, losing their 501c3 status. I want to quote Eric Stanley, author and senior legal counsel of the Alliance Defense Fund. Um, he said that the Johnson Amendment was a bill that got inserted into the tax code through backroom deals uh, made by Lyndon Johnson. But he said this, We have grown up with a generation of churchgoers that believe it is illegal for their pastor to address candidates, and elections in light of Scripture or church doctrine when there is no valid justification for believing that. Bill Cook, uh, please continue. Yes, um, I, there is no valid justification for it. The idea is absurd on its face. And despite, you know, even with the Johnson Amendment and, and the Section 501c3, we have a moral obligation before God to care for, like we say in our in our the, the statement I read earlier, that we care for the temporal and the eternal well-being of, right. our, of the people within our flocks. And so if government is turning toward tyranny, that can't possibly be good. And so if we're going to function as the church and be the curators of, our, of the civil society, like the statement says, then we need to get involved in everything that impacts um, their temporal, the temporal welfare of the people in our flocks. In fact, um, you know, I forget who it was that said this, but if we don't preach the gospel as it relates to the moral issues of our day, we haven't preached it at all. Hmm. So you can't separate morality from government, and and there's it, the idea that the church can't address those things is just it's patently ridiculous. Amen. Especially in America, where we have the First Amendment. Yes, yes, and I love how Paul Blair addresses that in one of his presentations called uh, it, talking about compartmentalizing our faith. Uh, Stephen, any thoughts? Yeah, like you said, Paul's talking about, he says there's like a Gnostic influence. 
You know, there's mm-hmm. the physical and there's the spiritual, and they are somehow two separate things now in, in our world, you know, and in, in the church. They shouldn't be. Um, so that's what Bill's first point on the uh, Gideon's 300 sta- uh, statement is, is basically saying. Mm. You have to address these things. And um, and we have a, like Bill just said, we have a moral imperative to uh, to do so. Um, you know, Philippians 2.15, Matthew 5, we're supposed to be light and we're supposed to shine into this crooked and perverse generation. Not We're not, we're not supposed to passively wait for this whole generation to go to hell. Mm-hmm. So well, you know, another thing uh, that uh, <clears throat> pastors need to realize is that one day they're going to give an account to God for their preaching, yes. and they are held to a higher standard before God. And so, imagine standing before God and saying, "Well, Lord, I obeyed the Johnson Amendment, and <laughs> uh, I didn't preach political sermons, even though I, I knew yeah. that that would have would have you know been to the welfare of my people." Um. I, w- I don't think they'll get a pass. No, that that's really eye-opening and kind of sobering when you think about that, standing before God and answering. I mean, we're all going to stand before God one day, but pastors and teachers, as what Scripture says, will incur a stricter judgment because we are supposed to teach the whole counsel of God and study to show ourselves approved diligently, accurately uh, handling the word of truth. And my goodness, um, I'm thinking about so many pulpits across the country in, in some of my travels and... Um, boy, have we lost the the art of bold preaching of the the whole counsel of God, guys. Um, I want to quote a troublemaker for the kingdom named Bill Cook, who uh, several years ago said, uh, Pastors, if, if you will not preach an election sermon, then you can't claim you are willing to preach the whole counsel of God. End quote. Bill, could you explain, because I don't think most people know that that happened in our past history, which you said earlier in the podcast, and what exactly that would entail. Well, a good example is, is a sermon that was preached a couple of years ago by Pastor Gary Hamrick up in Loudoun County. Yes. Where he, 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 did a, he presented an excellent election sermon, talking basically, you know, preaching so much, so accurately about what the Christians' role in relation to civil government and voting that he didn't even have to talk about who was running for office. All you have to do is know who's, who's running and what they stand for to know what you should do in an election, but he was saying it's incumbent upon you as believers to vote for the candidate who's most likely to, su- to support liberty, the mm-hmm. truth and liberty and righteousness in government. And if, if you don't do that, then God's going to hold you accountable. It's a sacred duty. Mm-hmm. It is a sacred duty of Christians. And so pastors, I mean, at the, at the earliest years of America, they would, they would endorse candidates and say, this is the man you want. This is the man who's most likely to, to secure the blessings of liberty. Hmm. And I believe we have the same duty as pastors today. So if we're not willing to address the moral issues of our day as they relate to the to the civil government and its impact on the civil society, then we haven't preached the gospel at all. Hmm. Um, Stephen, uh, you mentioned something earlier, and I, I, I want to go back. This is in the previous segment. I just thought of this as Bill was speaking. Um, there are a lot of good men of God that might not be considered bold pastors or preachers, and they want Mm -hmm. to stay true to the gospel. And, in fact, I've heard that recently. A lot of people have come to the church that I attend now that we are a part of um, that be for this reason, because their pastor would not address some of these other issues of government, of politics, political issues, meaning murder, abortion, Meaning, you know, you know, a, a sexual promiscuity and perversion, um, same-sex marriage, things like that, and socialism, you know, issues like that. They won't talk about what's going on in our government and our culture, and they, but they want to be true to the gospel. So some pastors would say that may be a, those topics may be appropriate for a Sunday evening or a Wednesday night, but not for Sunday morning service. How would you respond to that, Stephen Mannion? I just want to laugh when you say that because I've heard it. Like, like, what's your logic? Why? Why? That's mm-hmm. I, uh, I like Wednesday night. Okay, Sunday not. Like, where do you get that in, in scripture? Uh, I don't. You know, um, I. <laughs> you know the the pattern goes. Our culture, our our government, and our, basically our culture co ops some, some aspect of morality or Christian or or holy living, makes it political. And then tells us we have to stay out of politics. 
Then they take another issue. They make it political. And then they continue to tell us we need to stay out of politics. Yes. They are slowly narrowing our sphere of influence down to where they, where we have no more sphere of influence. And the problem is with, um, you know, cognitive dissonance. You know, people, we all want comfort. Mm-hmm. We all want to just, we all just want to, you know, you know, keep living our lives the way we've always lived it. Uh, Paul, I mean, uh, uh, Bill mentioned, uh, uh, Muhlenberg, uh, John Henry Muhlenberg, his, his brother Frederick felt the same way until his church got burnt down. Hmm. And then he suddenly thought it was important to be involved in politics. <laughs> That's the same thing. All these pastors, they, they all, once it affects their church personally or them personally, they will all of a sudden think it's important to be involved in politics. Hmm. Um, Steve, uh, Steve, uh, uh, Dace on the Blaze, I, li- I love him, yep. he said this. Yep. He said, I promise you, Just Leave Me Alone loses in every history book ever. Don't Rock the Boat loses in every history book ever. Don't Use My Name, I Can't Lose My Job loses in every history book ever. <laughs> I Didn't Think It Was My Place loses in every history book ever. You know, we what they will do is shrink our sphere, our sphere of influence as pastors and as clergy down to nothing when our influence should be affecting all aspects of human flourishing and existence. Yes. Amen. And we could do a whole Amen. podcast on the ideas of, of Christians being salt and light because we've lost that sphere of influence generally. There's some, but boy, have we lost a lot of ground. We've just got a minute and a half left, guys. So, Bill Cook, I'm going to have you sum this up and direct people back to Acts 529 and encourage uh, pastors to sign it. Well, I, I, I can't emphasize that enough. It's critical that pastors have got to sign this statement. They need to make themselves accountable. In fact, I would say once you sign the Acts 529 statement, or that or the Gideon 300 statement, um, you know, display display them in your church before your whole congregation. That will show you who really has the medal to be courageous in the pulpit. Put that up in front of your people so Mm. they know that you've made a commitment to do that, to preach those things. Amen. Amen. The website, again, acts529.com. And there's no colon, just acts529.com. Bill Cook from Virginia, Stephen Mannion from New York. It's been such a blessing. We're going to have to do this again. This was fun, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, God bless. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. God bless you both. God bless you both. Tomorrow, we've got Usama Dakdak on the program. He's an expert on Islam, and uh, he's speaking the truth about Islam. He's with the Straight Way of Grace Ministry. And we're talking more about Islam in American government and the spread, even in some of our churches. Why are we open to this when we know it's a false religion? Usama, Dakdok, tomorrow. Thank you guys so very much. Please share this podcast, and I highly encourage you to prayerfully get it to your pastor and ask him to go to acts529.com. God bless you, and as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.